Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, we've talked a lot, an awful lot on this podcast over the past five years about abortion and repeal the eighth. And today we're going to cast our minds back over what was a huge battle for the hearts and minds of people in this country. And as many of you know, it was always about so much more than abortion. It was about freedom, about a changing Ireland and about the voices and rights of women being listened to and taken on board On Tuesday the 25th of May, tomorrow, it will be three years since the nation went to the polls and voted by 66% to remove the Eighth Amendment, which effectively banned abortion from the Constitution. And a new movie tells the story of the 35-year-long fight for reproductive justice in this country and of the innovative, energetic, groundbreaking campaign by a grassroots movement of women across this country. It's called The Eighth Movie and it's already got great reviews in both The Guardian and Empire magazine. It was directed by Aideen Kane, Lucy Kennedy and Maeve O'Boyle. And it's the first independently made documentary about the triumphant referendum campaign. It's going to be released on video in demand in the UK and Ireland on the 25th of May to coincide with that third anniversary. There's loads of great things about this documentary. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, and the great thing is that it features voices from both sides of the debate But yes, the primary focus of it is on the dynamic female leaders of the pro-choice campaign. It follows veteran pro-choice campaigner Alva Smith, the co-director of the Together for Yes campaign and self-described glitter activist and co-presenter of the podcast Don't Stop Repealing, Andrea Horan. And of course, there's a great cameo as well from her co-presenter, Irish Times columnist Una Mullally. And it tells the story of all of them charting a bold strategy of grassroots activism and engineering that near impossible result. The documentary also takes us back through wonderfully researched archive footage to the dark days in the 80s and 90s in Ireland, when the full repercussions of the Eighth Amendment on the lives of women in Ireland were seen and debated. It is a brilliant film. It's joyous and it's rage-making and a huge achievement. So we were delighted to welcome the aforementioned Alva Smith and one of the directors, Lucy Kennedy, to discuss the film, which was three years in the making. I began by asking Lucy Kennedy to tell me the story of how the documentary came about. So, yeah, so basically back in 2016, Aideen Kane and myself were living in New York and Maeve O'Boyle was in Ireland. And the three of us came together to tell this story. Aideen and Maeve had been sort of talking and thinking about doing something like that. And then the three of us have sort of very different skill sets. You know, we're all storytellers, but Aideen is sort of producer extraordinaire um, I come from a more journalistic background and then um, Maeve, more editor, storyteller. So the three of us, such a massive, massive subject. And the three of us came together and decided we wanted to do this. We had all grown up in the shadow of the eighth and we really wanted to tell the story. And it was 2016 and things were galvanizing. This was, you know, obviously after the death of Savita Halepanavar, and there was a real new burgeoning movement in Ireland. 
Um, so we came together and just started, we spent a year, the first year, just like talking on the phone what, at least once a week and, and researching the issue, you know, reading up on the history, thinking about films that might inspire us and then researching the players involved as well. And then we started our on the ground research. Well, I, what I think is really interesting about the film is the way that we're going to talk to Alva in a second, but the way it focuses on Alva, who's been around for a long time fighting on this issue with Andrea from Tropical Popical and Una Malali with their podcast, Don't Stop Repealing. It really was a it was a great way to look at kind of the different um, types of women who are involved from the people who have been politicised, almost radicalised by the abortion issue in recent years, and to people like Alva who were around in 1983 too. So did you come at that very early and was that was that something of an aha moment where you realised that was a great way to tell the story? Yeah, so I mean, there were so many women involved in this, you know, absolutely across the board. Um, so we really had to figure out, you know, in a narrative feature documentary, you figure have to figure out, OK, how are you going to tell this absolutely massive story? And um, as I said, we had been researching the players and started to meet people. And then very soon it became obvious that Alva was going, we were going to like beg, borrow or steal to try and like convince Alva to get involved because, you know, um, she's been campaigning on this issue for a long time. And we always feel like Irish society has sort of caught up with Alva's way of thinking. Not that I want to say to Alva by any way, shape or form that she's made stream in her thinking but I do think Ireland has caught up to her um and then you know so she was a clear you know she had been involved in the coalition to repeal the eighth and then moved on was one of a triumvirate involved in together for it yes and then we also wanted to sort of tap into this younger movement of women who were mobilizing and we met Andrea and Andrea is just a star, you know, I mean, she's this like marketing guru who has her own nail bar, who, you know, is just so smart and brilliant and, you know, so full of joy and positivity and was really bringing in women who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves activists or be part of mainstream politics and, you know, Andrea was like, right, I see this army of women. I am going to get those going because these are the issues that matter to them. Um, so we were really lucky that, you know, we kind of courted them both and they agreed. <laughs> well, speaking of one of those women you were courting, Alva, I'm really interested to know how when you first sat down to watch The Eighth, what kind of emotions you went through because you do feature in it very um, largely but also it tells the story so brilliantly over many decades of what happened in this country around reproductive rights so what were your feelings watching the movie? Well I, th I think first of all you know I should say that neither Andrea nor myself realised that we were going to, to have to be constant threads through uh, the movie I mean I said yes jumped at the chance to these three wonderful filmmaking women because back in 2016 before there was any Together for Yes I mean there was the coalition and the abortion rights campaign was there and so on but I jumped at the chance because I really felt that we could win this and that it was going to need to be recorded because it would be a historic moment but I never dreamt that for the next two years there would be cameras following me and I it still didn't hit me that um 
that I uh, and Andrea that we were sort of there in in the film pretty well all the time. So when I saw it first, I mean, I knew in principle, but in practice, I was thinking, oh, my God, (laughs) this is kind of major. I think what I really, my first feeling was I was just overawed because I thought, how have they managed to capture in 90 minutes, less than 90 minutes, such a very complex story, a very complex history, and to do the politics to include even the other side um, and to, to do that with uh, with great clarity, but also huge emotion um, because there is a lot of affect, there's a lot of emotion in this film and it was a campaign that was full of emotion. So, of course, watching it, I saw a rough cut a good while ago and I was very... Um, I was just, I, I think I felt quite overcome, really, because I thought they had done such an incredible job. And also, it gave me a little bit of space, in a way, to step back and to just see how brilliantly everybody worked together to win. I knew that, of course, I mean, we're doing it all the time. But just seeing it on screen, I just thought, we were an absolute army of warriors who took over the country and who didn't tell the country what to do, who simply set out to have good chats with the country and to say, now, look here, we have to think about this. You can't say the word abortion, but we have to say it and we have to do something about it. And we have to do it with kindness and humanity and understanding. And I could kind of see that in the film, in a way that I I could feel it, in a way that I knew it strategically from what we had done. So that was, I don't know if that's an emotion. I don't think I said very much to them after after the first time I'd seen it because I was so (laughs) overawed and they were probably thinking, she doesn't like it. I did, I love it. I think they did such an interesting, it's such an interesting film. Yeah. And I think um, you and Andrea do emerge as kind of, like you say, a thread to the film. But I, I, one of the most affecting things for me watching it was was seeing all the faces of people whose names we don't know, the young women who just went out for the first time marching or canvassing or campaigning, who who were politicised by this issue and who were just full of emotion, like you say, when you were watching them in the crowds, maybe they were reacting to you speaking, Alva, or reacting to news coming through or reacting to Savita's uh, at the vigil. Um, that Lucy to me was a very big part of the film all the way through to the scenes in Dublin Castle where we see the crowds there was that important to make sure that that kind of grassroots movement that sprung up was captured look that that was you know really I'm so glad that you pick up on that in the film because that was really essential to us Um, because you know as I said we had all grown up under the shadow of the eighth it had impacted us but I'll have to say like one of the most profound parts of making this film was we went around there's a point in the film where there's a chorus of women's voices who have traveled and, you know, very much this was a film about trying to break the silence and and going around the country and interviewing individual women and having them tell us their stories was really, you know, I don't want to sound hokey about it, but it was really like a privilege. And um, just to connect with people for those moments as they talked to us and then to bring it together because people had all sorts of different reasons and all sorts of different experiences. 
Um, so that idea of the collective experience of Irish women and the collective power of Irish women was just so important to us. Um, and I'm really glad that you feel it comes across in the film. Mm-hmm. But I think another really important point to make is that um, the other side or the pro-life side also gets a, a quite a, a lot of screen time. And I think that's what al- almost sets the film apart from just being a kind of a hagiography or a celebration, which it ultimately is. But but it's a really good his- record of what was going on because you do get people like John McGurk and people talking from their perspective and the people on the stalls, the pro-life stalls, you know, the, the love both people very much represented. Was that difficult to get them on board, given that ultimately it was going to be a repeal the eighth uh, film, a celebration of it. Yeah, so I mean, I I have to say, so when we came together to make this film, we were always saying this is a film with a point of view, but it is going to be a fair film, and we want to represent the diversity of opinion in Ireland, and also we want to show, you know, what um, the pro-choice movement were up against as well. So we were honest. You know, if you did a Google search of any of us, you could figure out what our perspective was going to be. But we wanted to be fair, and I am eternally. We all are grateful to Wendy Grace, Cora Sherlock, John McGurk who agreed to participate and trusted us. Because I can tell you, there were many other titans of that community that we reached out to who didn't. And ironically, we were trying to be fair. I mean, I think if you watch the film, it's not a gotcha. You know, there's a lot of things I agree with Wendy Grace on. I agree with her approach about, you know, we need more sort of... um, like care for for working mothers and resources and all of that. So there are points of connection as well. Yeah, no, I think I think Wendy particularly and the 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 clips from Maria Steen and then John McGurk. Although on that, Alva, I'm really curious to ask you, John McGurk makes a, a point that you were doing it all wrong, that your posters, which said sometimes a, a private matter needs public support, were a terrible way to go about it. I, I, had, I think he probably had to eat a few of his words. Was that satisfying there? Well, it was extraordinary, actually, because, you know, I, I always said, as soon as I saw their posters, I said, that's a fatal error they're making there because people didn't like them. People found them very offensive. But we did have a problem with posters ourselves, which people often remind us of that they didn't get out there soon enough. But at the same time, you know, it showed, I think, how um, coherent the Together for Yes and general kind of repeal campaign was, that there was a real strategy, whereas, you know, they were flinging things around the place and there were three organisations and I don't know what not. But of course, John is a campaigner. John is also a strategist. And of course, he's going to say that in the film. I, I don't actually hold it against him at all. And I mean, I, I think and probably Andrea the same, but I certainly did have to give the matter some thought when I realised that um, that those who were opposed, uh, opposed to repeal would also be in the film. But I took the point that this was a very fair way of doing it. I mean, I do think, you know, I think the film, it is full of emotion, yes, but it is also a film about how you campaign. And I think that that's the bit that's probably really interesting and important for so many women and indeed men uh, across the world who are still campaigning on this issue, but also on any issue, because I think quite a lot of... um, And having the other side there actually does enable that point to come across very clearly, that you, 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 if, if you're going to... 
if you're going to have a very big campaign, you have to think very long and hard about it, which, of course, we had done from 2012 onwards. Um, And I think that point does, if you kind of think about it, really, 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 really come through. And it also, I think, shows why, you know, we didn't have a kind of post-Brexit situation in Ireland after appeal. The country didn't go one half that way and the other half or two thirds. We didn't have that awful kind of split and dividing up the country. We really didn't have that and we haven't had it. Yes, there are people who are still opposed and no doubt there always will be. And there may be, I hope there will be more who are growing numbers in favour of enabling women to make our own choices. But at the same time, we didn't do it. And you can see it quite clearly in a way that was um, uh, confrontational. And I think it's quite a good lesson for campaigning generally that you talk to the people you need to reach in in an ordinary, normal, regular kind of way. You don't shout at them. You talk with them. And I think that does come across very powerfully, at least in the film. Let's talk about some of the moments from the book. Um, there's some great archive footage, particularly of... Father Michael Cleary, who, as we know, um, it emerged that he was actually having a a romantic affair with his housekeeper and he fathered a child, at least one child anyway, and, you know, was living a completely hypocritical life, really. Meanwhile, lecturing the whole country on their morality. And at one point we see Father Michael Cleary saying, oh, you know, any girl could say she's suicidal. This is after the X case. Any girl can say she's suicidal. Any girl can say she's been raped. You can't prove it as if women would be going around making those claims. I mean, was it interesting, Lucy, gathering all that footage and looking back at that time and just how how awful it was um, and how male-dominated as well, I suppose, a lot of the discourse was? It was really interesting. And with this film, more than anything, I think any of the three of us have worked on, it. there's so much personal that overlaps with it. Like, I remember Father Michael Cleary on the radio. I remember his presence. He was sort of like this almost like pop culture figure in Ireland, if you can imagine. Um, So it was fascinating going through the archive and there's great archive of um, Alva as well, you know, at at a number of different points. But but Great hair back in the day, Alva. Oh, styling, (laughs) always. Um, But but one thing I just want to say about that is, with regards to the film, one of the difficulties was trying to figure out how we get in the historical context. And those are, we end up, you know, picking key moments in the fight for reproductive rights in Ireland, like the X case, Savita Halepanavar, and um, the, the, and tomb as well but each of those events um we had a graphic designer connor o'boyle who would um you know there's beautiful graphics in there like of of photos and newspapers but connor is so invested in the film that for the tomb um graphic he read the whole ryan report so there is a depth there, even though the vignettes are small, they're a little bit deceptive because we really worked hard to try and get them right. Alva, you mentioned that it's a good film for campaigning. I think you're right. And actually, it was really fascinating to see some of the scenes 
I suppose, behind the scenes in the campaign, you know, when you're standing in front of the, the your team talking about the issues. Um, so a couple of things. The 12 weeks thing was obviously huge for you, how, how that was communicated, because that seemed to be coming up on the doorsteps that people were having an issue with this 12 week thing. So there was a moment in the campaign, wasn't there, where that that was a, a big issue. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it was really during the first, I think I'm not going to get this absolutely right, but the first two to three weeks of the of the campaign that would have been from, you know, the middle of March after International Women's Day, um, that was the issue du jour. I mean, everybody was on about the 12 weeks. Um, and in fact, it came to the point when we were thinking, oh, my God, you know, has we had wanted 14 weeks, but the committee had said uh uh, 12, I think, and that was what was ultimately agreed would go into the legislation. And um, so we, we were prepared to run with that because we knew we weren't going to do any better. And then suddenly we began to think, actually, maybe the people of Ireland won't run with this at all. So it was a very major issue. And we did have endless strategic strategy conversations about how to handle it. And I mean, I think that what we decided or what what really emerged as a decision in the end and talking with a number of different people was that we should just remain, we should just remain very moderate on it. Just, you know, not kind of go in there guns blazing either to defend or knock down or anything, but just simply keep it right there. Mm. And that kind of, I think, and again, I think this comes to be more in retrospect than at the time, that what we did always was to stay with our key messages and our key positions because they were well thought out, they were researched. Um, We pivoted a bit and turned around a bit on tactics here and there, but we kept to the core of our campaign throughout. So we kept to the core with regard to the 12 weeks. I mean, we, we absolutely had to have abortion on request. I mean, there was no way that we wanted to go through. I don't think any of us would have campaigned if we, if we, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have done it if we mm. couldn't have had that. So we stayed with it. But that's also a very good lesson. That, uh, and it's a, it, it chimes in with, with what Lucy was saying. When there is a depth of research there and you're, you know why you're doing what you're doing, then you have to hold your nerve on it. So we did have to hold our nerve on the 12 weeks, but I can remember going home a couple of evenings thinking, oh my God, is this going to topple the whole entire campaign? And thinking, what you know, what can we do? And I'm sure everybody else did. I'm just saying I did because I know how I felt, but everybody else would have been the same. But we did keep with it. And I think yeah. actually full marks to everybody on that one because it was really tough. And another one you very much kept with is the hard cases thing, which we've spoken about before. And it was really, I found it fascinating, I have to say, watching the film and seeing just how how wedded to that you were as a campaign, that the fact that, that, you know, this idea that the country wouldn't go along with the vast majority of abortions, which were like like my abortion because I had a one night stand. You even mentioned in, in the film, like someone who has a one night stand. And I almost felt like you were saying because they're not able to get on board with that. They don't they're not going to feel empathy with the likes of me, but they'll feel empathy with someone with a fatal fetal abnormality. But I mean, and I understand that you had that position. My own belief and just having thought about it a lot is I think the conversations that were happening in people's houses and around the country were about the vast majority of people who had abortions for other reasons that that I don't think the vote was only because they were concerned about people with fatal fetal abnormalities. But can you talk to me a little bit about but why that hard cases 
uh, strategy was so important, even though you knew that those conversations were going on, the other ones? I mean, I absolutely agree with you, but I'm not sure that there was ever, by the way, a moment when we actually you know, sat down and said, this is what we're going to do on that. I mean, I think what what, what emerged over a period of time, be, and that was before Together for Yes, really, was that these stories which were resonating with people, uh, what was bringing them to the table to have a conversation about it was the fact that people really did feel very sad and I think very ashamed that women had to make these really terrible, awful uh, journeys. Um And I think, you know, I always felt myself that you had to have a pathway. You had to be able to break through the wall of resistance that had been placed there by centuries of the Catholic Church in Ireland with the state, which also colluded with that Catholic Church. Let us be very clear about that. You know, this wasn't the church alone. It was the church hand in glove with the, 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 the state. And that that was, you know, that was a pretty dense, concrete brick, centuries old foundation wall. And we had to break through that wall. And I know exactly your point, but I would have to say that that decision to, if you like, put front and centre um, those situations, which are really very difficult, which were generally fatal fetal anomalies, uh, that helped people to say, oh, my God, that's really dreadful. And did you know that, you know, my niece, Mary, or my cousin, Roisin, or whatever, it, sort of, it, it, gave, it, it brought the opening up just as at the beginning of the campaign, we were very clear that we didn't go out on the doorsteps or on the street saying, I'm pro-choice, you have to vote for pro-choice. We use that word decision. And understandably, loads and loads and loads of campaigners probably have never entirely forgiven us for that, but also actually <laughs> were, were questioning and critiquing us. But what happened was that by, say, week, it was probably just the last two weeks of the campaign, you would go on a doorstep and you'd say to people, well, we believe that women should be able to make their own decisions. And the woman usually on the doorstep would say to you, oh, do you mean like choice, like pro-choice? <laughs> so people had embraced it and integrated it and taken it into themselves. And I'm very aware of the criticisms extremely. And I understand also where they came from. And of course, nobody was writing anybody off, but that's how it can seem. And the only thing I can say was that one way or another, we did open up the people of Ireland. We did really. And they not only were able to say the word abortion, they were they understood for themselves that whatever they whatever their personal view about abortion was, that they really could not lay down the law for any woman anywhere ever. And that was the big, big breakthrough, because that is about our bodily autonomy. That's about our right to bodily integrity. That is an understanding which you can't take away from people. You can play around with the law, but that part is not going to disappear. And that was the really, I think that was the really important and valuable thing that, that I'm not going to say lesson because we, we didn't want to teach anybody, understanding that people came to of their own accord. And the last point I'll make about that is that in referendums in Ireland, and I learned this, I think, really from the great, uh, unfortunately late, Noel Whelan, who was so 
uh, very central in the marriage equality campaign, that in a referendum campaign, you are not out to win an argument. You are out to win a referendum. And to do that, you have to reach the people and bring them with you, with them, you know, thinking and knowing that it is their decision. They make it themselves, not because you are the government or any old politician tells them to do that, but because it's something they want to do. Well, you know how much I admire you. I suppose the one thing that when you talk about empathy in the film and how certain cases bring more empathy, I just know from writing about my own abortion how much of an emotional response there was from the general public around that. And also Tara Flynn talking about her very ordinary abortion, how that resonated deeply with people and also moved people to maybe a more pro-choice stance. So I suppose it's just from personal experience, knowing how those cases also had an emotional uh, response too that I, I suppose I just wanted to raise it. But Lucy, do you have anything to say on that, just on that side of things? Because there's one bit in the film where Maria Steen, I think it is, says to Mary Lou MacDonald, you know, what about the vast majority of abortions? Are you in favour of them? And it's almost like Mary Lou doesn't want to say, you know, yes, women have abortions for all sorts of reasons. She does give a very good answer. But, you know, did you did you think about that, Lucy, when you're making the film, about what 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 decisions that Together for Yes had to make? In order to win a referendum at the end of the day, that's that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our job was to look on and document this. But of course, it's something I thought about. And I think that the approach of Together for Yes and the Yes campaign was genius, you know, and it required an enormous amount of discipline among them, you know. And Alva is somebody who's been doing this for years. So she knows, like, and, and they had done focus groups and research, and obviously it's not just Alva, like, but but losing a number of campaigns, you have to say, Okay, we what don't do lose we this one. do? Yeah, what yeah. do we do to make sure? And, and yeah. I think it's... it's but a, I think a, one a, of the things, too, is that, you know, you you kind of see the top line in in the film, if you like. But actually, what was going on, the conversations that were, people were having on the doorsteps were, of course, much more, much richer, if you like, and more complicated. And... I, I always remember a group, actually, one of the campaigning groups coming to me one day and saying, look, we're going to put out a separate leaflet because we want to talk about choice and we want to talk about the ordinary reasons women have for abortions. And they kind of looked at me a bit slightly assertively, I think is the word. <laughs> and I said, great, you know your constituency. And that is actually the way to go. And I mean, I did feel that we, we also trusted all the incredible people who are out there. But Try and cast yourself back to the early days of campaigning when, you know, the people who became involved in the campaign were not all radical pro-choice people who had been campaigning for this for decades or years. They were a huge mass of people. So we tried to move that entire vast cohort along with us. And, you know, we didn't People have sometimes said, well, you could have come out much more radically at the beginning. I don't think we could have done that at the beginning. Maybe we could towards the end. I don't mm. know. Um, but you do kind of have to stick with the decisions uh, that you make and, and and hold fast to them to bring the people with you. If, if I were doing it again, would I do it differently? <laughs> I would want not to have to do it at all, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> 
expression. <laughs> uh, just on that on that point for a minute, that that is actually one thing we try and capture in the film yeah. is that we were very deliberate. You know, we were very deliberate about where we put that chorus of voices. You know, in the edit room, we had three words guiding us: shame, stigma, and silence. And yeah. a lot of this film was about moving towards breaking the silence. And actually, tune broke while we were filming, you know, so that's why it falls at the point where it does in the film. So it's a process of people, you know, getting moving forward and, and things opening up, I think. Yeah. And Rosita Boland's story about Anne Lovett also came out at the same time as well, which I feel was a very... It was so interesting, the timing, because I think it sort of spoke of so much that we were all thinking and talking about. And then, of course, we have to mention Savita. I think it's beautifully and sensitively done in the film, you know, and really because it was such a galvanizing moment for so many of us. And, and that visual outside the doll and the candlelight when we were there, you know, it was the time I certainly influenced me in telling my story because I felt like I can't, you know, on my watch if I can do anything about this. And, you know, there's people's women's lives at stake. It it, it was really well done. It was It was obviously such an important part of the film, Lucy. Oh, it was an extremely important part of the film. And um, in fact, one of the most difficult choices we made in the edit was we had we had filmed a whole vignette around Anne Lovett and it was really heartbreaking. And it's just Rosita just did such an amazing job um, in her article. And, and, And structurally, you can only go back and forth so many times. And, you know, I'll tell you something. When I uh, found that archive of Alva at the Savita protest, um, I, you know, it's just like as a filmmaker, you're like, gold. Yes. Um, uh, Alva, who's that wonderful woman who um, shot a lot of those protests? The archive comes from her and I'm forgetting. Paul Garrity. Paula Garrity. Paula. The Paula Garrity has been Paula's everywhere yeah. and yeah. shot Everything and I went. She's done went such a service for Garrity over the years. And and there is the piece of of Alva there, and it's very emotional. And you know, we we relied a lot on her archive as well for the vignettes. Another moment I absolutely loved, which I I think I must have seen, but I've kind of forgotten about, is the rally at the custom house and that man coming with his sign up on an umbrella. And it's so funny because before he came along, I was watching Lynn and Anna, Lynn Ruan and Anna Cosgrave behind you, Alva, while you're talking. And I'm looking at their faces just because obviously I know both of them. So I'm kind of going, no, there they are. And next thing your man comes along with the sign. And I was looking at Lynn and I was saying to myself, Lynn, get that sign off that guy. And she does. She jumps down off the stage. She grabs it out of his hands. It is fantastic. Well, actually, and he suddenly has nowhere to can't. go. In fact, it was a guy who got him off the stage because I'll tell oh, you. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes. I, I mean, I think Lynn rushed at him. I think, right. she, I think she took the sign away, though. She I took think she something. Did. But I will never forget when that happened because there was an absolutely electric atmosphere at that. Oh, my God. You know, the electricity was just popping off people. And the next thing I had just started my rah, rah, you know, we're going to win this uh, speech. And the next thing, whizzing across the stage, this guy with a huge big crucifix and a banner. And I thought, well, nothing to be done about this until he's removed. So anyway, there was a young a young chap did actually then really manhandle him off the the stage. And I never knew who that was until one day I was walking down Stephen's Green into Grafton Street and this young chap rushed up to me and he said, he said, hi, he said, I'm the one who got rid of the man with the crucifix. (laughs) (laughs) 
moments, and but in a way that further mobilised and impassioned the crowd because after that happened, I remember saying something like, we're going to win this anyway or whatever, as you would. And I could just feel the atmosphere. It was an electric current. And I did feel then we are going to win this. I know we're going to win this because this degree of passion is not to be thwarted. These people will not go away until we have won this, until we have repealed the eighth, which was kind of, if you think, a negative win to take something away. (laughs) But very important, very important. Just to say, as a filmmaker with the three of us on it, I think 18 shot that, Maeve edited it, and then I came into the edit one day and I was like, whoa, what is this scene? This is amazing. So, yeah, it, it was a it was a good moment. Yes, yeah. and we were outside the custom house because it was a very, we'd had snow. It was after the beast or oh, whatever it yeah. was from the, wherever, the east. And we almost didn't get permission, actually. And Sinead Kennedy, who was so incredible and who spoke at the beginning of that march and who did the thing outside the door. I mean, Sinead is fantastic. Um She finally got permission for us to go outside the custom house, but there was a lot of negotiating went on with groups. And I mean, you know, there's a whole there's a whole dimension, you know, the the wholeness of the campaign. I think you can see it in the film, uh, although not in its all its complexity, inevitably. And I just would want to absolutely pay tribute to the hundreds and millions, hundreds and thousands of women and men who got involved and to say that Andrea and I are there as threads, but that's what we are, threads. And that it was won, really, by all those hundreds and thousands of campaigners, including yourself, Roisin. And let me just say that one of the moments I remember most clearly in that whole, the years leading up to the campaign was a Saturday morning going in to chair a conference, which was, I think, Coalition to Repeal the Eighth Amendment, and starting off with the words, Roisin Ingle has just told her story, her experience of having had an abortion in the Irish Times this morning. And the whole of the Gresham Hotel at that conference just erupted in cheers and clapping and... So you were there right at the start. Well, no, I think you were there right at the start. But I'm, yeah, no, I mean, that was a huge moment for me. But it was great when you told me that. It means a lot because, you know, it was it was moving for me watching the film too um, because as an editor at the time in the Irish Times, um, it meant I couldn't get involved really when the campaign got to the really active stage. And, you know, I was watching the, the film just a bit jealous, to be honest, because I had I wasn't allowed, you know, just from my work perspective, I wasn't allowed to be out at a lot of things. And sometimes I sort of sneakily go to things I wasn't really supposed to be at. And, it, you know, it made me kind of nostalgic for that. But it was beautiful to see it all happening. I couldn't be there and do it. But I feel like I was there now having watched the film as well. So that's another great thing for people who couldn't get out for whatever reason to do with their jobs, which was there was a lot of people like that who were who were a bit restricted. In what but they we could, could feel the spirit. Yeah, t- definitely. And and just, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an incredible testament. You did an amazing job, all, the three of you. Um, just about the toll it took, because obviously um, we can see in the film too, Alva, that, you know, what it took out of you physically, mentally, emotionally, but physically particularly, like you were a broken woman, really, by the end of, is that okay to say? 
Well, <laughs> broken is maybe a bit too... I say, I say I was a broken woman, but I don't think I've ever... Great good fortune never to have been entirely broken. But my back went. And I mean, there were days when I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand. I could just about stand usually. I used to do meetings standing up. And there was one wonderful day when Carl Hayden actually saw me coming into headquarters and said, I'm just putting you into a taxi straight away to your doctor who gave me some major painkiller. <laughs> um but I think, of course, campaigning takes its toll. And, you know, it took its toll on Orla O'Connor and Gronya Griffin, the other co-directors, but also on everybody who was working flat out uh, on that campaign. But the interesting thing about it is that, um, and also I would have to say that, and I've said this before, that campaigning when you're over 70 is not like campaigning when you're 20 or 30 or 40 <laughs> or 50, frankly. You know, your body... You want to forget your body because it does sort of give up a bit. Um, but the spirit stays, uh, the spirit stays firm. And it's a bit like pregnancy and childbirth. You know, it, it's pretty horrendous. And then when you've done it, you, you forget about it. It's gone. It's the past. Mm. So um, my back is not perfect, uh, but it's, per- it, it's good enough to go out campaigning again, which I am doing currently on the National Maternity Hospital issue. So... <laughs> Right. I mean, Lucy, you saw that, what making the film just, I mean, not again, not just Alva, the, the, the toll that it takes, the emotional exhaustion, the kind of, I mean, I think a lot of people had to lie down in dark rooms afterwards for quite a while. Yeah. And we had to finish a film. <laughs> but, but what we were doing is nothing compared to what the campaigners were doing. You know, we used to joke about that in the edit. Sometimes we'd be like, oh, my God, we're exhausted. I can't believe we're, you know, working all these hours. And then we'd think about the campaign and that would kind of quiet us down a little bit. Yeah. But I think it is very stressful. I mean, I learned a lot watching um, the three filmmakers making this film. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot. And it is afterwards the stress. And then, of course, the pandemic really was not a helpful intervention, shall we say, for anybody about anything and definitely not for films. Yeah. Well, May 25th is the three year anniversary, so it's good timing to have the film out. But Alva, can you take us through the things that we still need to be vigilant about and be watching in terms of abortion in Ireland? Because, you know, it's never over. And we see in America with the heartbeat law in Texas just signed in one of the one of America's most restrictive abortion measures, banning abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. And it's it's the whole Roe versus Wade, a whole thing is going to be being looked at again. So you can never be be kind of complacent about these things, can you? No. And I mean, well, first of all, I would say in relation to the heartbeat bill, when I when I heard about this and read about it the other day, I was thinking that is what happened to Zavita Halepanavar. It was the detecting of a heartbeat. And then for two days later, for the Supreme Court to agree to take on a case which could uh, and given the composition of the Supreme Court may very well uh, overturn, completely overturn Roe versus Wade, um, you see just uh, what great jeopardy um, there is now surrounding uh, abortion law in, in the US. I mean, it is a very bad situation. I mean, I, th- I think more fundamentally in response to your question, I think I would say that, you know, Repeal the Eighth was about taking something away. It was not about putting in place, actually, the laws and the services and so on that we need to ensure that women can genuinely access abortion and that 
all the needs of all women can be met. And we're very, very far from that. And we knew that that would be the case. I mean, I, I think sometimes people thought, well, why can't you fight for more? Because we had to get rid of that from the Constitution. But I, I've always said, and go, we'll go on saying it, that that was when the real work started of trying to ensure that we had legislation. If we have to have a law at all, I don't think we should have to have a law, but we apparently do. Um, that there should be laws which really are there to address the real needs of women on an everyday basis. And I do mean all women. And the fact of the matter is our law doesn't do that at present. It absolutely doesn't. And services are definitely lagging far behind. And as somebody from Sligo said the other day on the radio, you know, very patchy, very patchy, because one of the big patches is no abortion, no GP Uh, providing abortion in Sligo. And there are other parts of the country where that is the case. So, however, I also think that, you know, you, I certainly didn't expect that with, you know, the 31st of December 2018, it was a mortal sin and a crime. And that on the 1st of January, it was going to be legal, still a crime, by the way, for doctors outside the parameters of the law. But um, I didn't think it was going to be all a bed of roses. But we have a huge amount of work to do. And we are actually doing it coming up to the review of the legislation. And there are many uh, women, including the Abortion Working Group, the Abortion Rights Campaign, uh, the National Women's Council, uh, the Lawyers for Choice, all of these big, big groups, uh, terminations for medical reasons, all working incredibly hard and working together again to make submissions on this legislation to try to get it right, Mm -hmm. get rid of the three-day rule, uh, try to ensure that women really can access abortion up to the 12th week, week of pregnancy, have you know a very close look of what's happening after 12 weeks because that's really bad women are still traveling to the uk that was not the object of the exercise so we really have to look at that again conscientious objection uh, being a problem and the fact that it is still a criminal offense on the statute books for anybody to help a woman outside terms of the law so and that is before we even begin to talk about the services, the need for training of GPs, of hospital services, provision, um, where hospitals are saying, well, and they're dragging their heels on doing scans and getting the results back. And if there is ever a condition which is time specific, it is pregnancy. And somehow, somehow that seems to be quite difficult for you know, swathes of the medical profession to get into their heads. I want to encourage the medical profession to get fully behind this and to understand that this is now legal. It should be fully part of our medical and health services. And we have to have much more of a push. And we need strong pushes from our government and from our Minister for Health. We need them to get behind it. And I want to see our Minister for Health pushing for that because that is what the people voted for. And I'm not seeing enough of that at the moment. I'm not seeing that. And I feel very cross about it because you think, you know, what's the point of the whole country turning out to to give a very clear signal to government and government reverting to pussyfoot uh, behaviour, not good enough and will not do them well in the next general election. Glad to see you haven't taken your foot off the gas anyway, Alva. You're still firing full steam ahead and that the anger is still burning. You know, it's I don't want to I hope that you fire bet. never. Ne- you <laughs> bet. 
the fire cannot go out. Listen, Lucy, before we go, four out of five stars in The Guardian, a lovely review, really saying that the film is inspiring and that it's engrossing and engaging and that it, it tells a great story. And I think everyone agrees that it's, it's a wonderful film. You must be really, really pleased. Anu, we're absolutely thrilled. Yesterday, we got four stars from The Guardian and four stars from Empire. So that's fantastic. And the film is going to be uh, May 25th, available in Ireland, across Ireland and across the UK. And then on demand in Europe um, sometime after mid-July. So after all of this time, after the pandemic, after everything, it just feels so great for the three of us are thrilled to be getting it out there. And there's sort of momentum around it. And we're just all excited. That's great. And I think what people can do is now that we can gather in whatever six people can gather around their phones in their gardens, have little the eighth viewing parties, because I think it's a movie that people who've been involved in the campaign will want to watch together to relive all those moments. And it's so emotional be great to have people that they can possibly vaccination willing and stuff some of them hug and all that kind of thing so um yeah it's it's great that it's coming out now lucy to a wide audience and um i hope people do watch it together and reminisce and relive all the the pain and the joy and the tears and the laughter that that we experienced during that time and and well done both of you for for being involved on it and it is a beautiful film so thank you so much for talking to me about it thank you thanks a million Roisin from myself Aideen and Maeve as well we're really thrilled so thanks a lot that was Lucy Kennedy and Alva Smith and the film is called The Eighth so make sure you check it out and yeah just a really nice moment tomorrow when we can all mark three years since that incredible referendum result the podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.